Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must-read, The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, or wherever fine books are sold. Now we are live with Jennifer English and Michael Hey, Michael, it's Jennifer English here. Where are you, my friend? Going to reach I out am... and touch you. Oh, that's this way. How about that new you know, hand thing that everyone's doing and they pick up the hand sanitizer? That's funny. We just have to have the same kind. Hey, how are you, man? Do you have a good weekend? Is, the, is it the weekend? I don't even know what day it is. Why don't we introduce our guest? Let's introduce our guest because he's sitting there looking. Let's look. Hey, there he is. What's up, Todd? <laughs> How's it going? How are you guys? He's awesome. I'll get the what hang of it. <laughs> so what I was going to say is uh, I had an awesome weekend. It's Monday, right? So we're we're back to it. But I've been spending so much time today getting ready for the conversation we're having with our uh, VIP guest who's with us, Todd Gerber <laughs> from P. Terry's. And, you know, they're famous. They're world famous for some of the best burgers anywhere. But they're, they're going to become even more famous because of what they're doing and how they're thriving during this pandemic and how in the face of what seems like, you know, an unprecedented, insurmountable series of operating challenges, they've just hired 200 more employees and opened two or three more shops. So we got to get down to it. how are they doing what they're doing? And I don't know about you, Michael, but they're making me crave burgers right now. Like I'm having a total Jones. Well, burgers. So Todd, how are we, you? Why don't we introduce Todd? Introduce Todd, <laughs> and then I'll flash this. Whoa! Look at that. Oh, like nice. That. Nice. <laughs> this is you big gotta time. get a picture of that double cheese, though. You got that double cheese, double burger. It looks. They did so a good job on this logo. They put it in as, as with a clear background, so we could see each other and still flash it. Nice. These are little tricks that I'm learning. I'm. I, I'm just. Uh huh. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, Jennifer. You and Todd go. Anyway, <laughs> we, we, we're the C-suite is in the house today. Todd Carver from Pete Perry's Burger Stand. Welcome. Thanks for making. Thank time you very much. Out with us. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Good to spend the afternoon with you. Hey, how are you doing? How's everything going in Pete Terryville? You know it. Like everyone else, it's been a rough ride, um, a lot of adapting on the fly. and uh, But, you know, we're, we're making the best of it and kind of leaning into it and trying to keep a positive attitude and uh, and really just try to take care of our folks while taking care of the guests. And that's it's not really much more complicated. Um, for people who are in parts of the country that don't have a P. Terry location or taco ranch experience, Let's tell everybody about what you and your group uh, do and, and what your sort of 
brand philosophy is, what your flavor philosophy is, what your operating mission is? Yeah, so just real quick backstory. Uh, the brand is 15 years old this year, started back in 2005 in Austin, Texas. Uh, we're primarily just in the central Texas region right now with plans to grow. Um, and, you know, really the, the premise of the brand back in 05, Patrick and Kathy Terry, our founders, uh, when they created P. Terry's, it was based on sort of two basic ideas. One, Patrick grew up in West Texas, always wanting to open his own burger stand. He loved the idea of those simple yeah. gathering places of what a burger stand represented back in the 60s and 70s. And at the same time, his wife, Kathy Terry, was reading, uh, reading books on, you know, just the whole state of fast food, like Fast Food Nation, obviously, had just come out during that time. And it was really blowing the lid off of just how unhealthy, you know, the processed foods and fast food experience was back in those days. Right. Um, and so they decided, A, they wanted to create their own burger stand, but B, more importantly, they wanted to do it the right way. And so they committed to all natural ingredients. And saying that today, it's getting a little ubiquitous, you know, to have all right. natural foods. That's kind of our expectation. But believe it or not, 15 years ago, it was near impossible to find in a restaurant experience. And so, so difficult so that when Patrick was sourcing his uh, Black Angus beef and he wanted to be all natural, they had to search high and low in the U.S. to even find a rancher that could provide such a product. And they actually sourced it out of a, a guy in Fresno, California to start. So, so you're telling yeah. me that te Texas, which especially West Texas or the Hill Country, I mean, this is cattle country, and you had to get on the search for something really what we're now today appreciative of. But it was so not that long ago that you had no. to look high and low for something that we now accept as the standard, which is exactly. all natural, high quality. Yep, exactly. So he wanted all natural, hormone free, antibiotic free. Um, you know, grain fed. And back then, the only place he could find it was in California. Today, we're sourcing that product out of West Texas. Um, but to get started, yeah, it was a bigger challenge, I think, than they thought it was going to be back then to, to be able to source those products. So, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on the fact the entire menu is all natural. Uh, we do a lot of the, the cooking ourselves in our centralized commissary. That's a big part of the magic of the brand is that we have a 24-7 operating commissary where we bring in chicken breast and grind and form our own chicken patties. We have our own proprietary recipe vegetarian patty that we form in-house. Right. Um, we do all our baking. We bake our oatmeal chocolate chip cookies and our homemade banana bread in that commissary every day. You oatmeal chocolate chip cookies? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude. You oh, gotta I'm back now. No, no. They're, they're, they're Michael's all paying in. attention again. Michael, they're all in in the cookie and milk category. And right. I got to tell you, they have a world-class chocolate chip oatmeal cookie for a dollar that when you are in a time of crisis like this, I'm telling you, that's just the kind of thing that you want to have to give you that kind of taste grounding and emotional vibrational grounding that something home-baked like a cookie uh, is going to transport you with. I, I got to tell you, the simplicity of this and the reviews and the quality of all this is is pretty unrivaled, and it's pretty interesting to read about. But even more interesting than than the burgers and the cookies is how during this time, and I think for all the 
you know, restaurateurs around the world and around the country that tune in with us to Food and Beverage Magazine for these kinds of friend in the business tips, everybody wants to know, Todd, how are you guys crushing it the way you're crushing it? Because you're like hiring more people. You, you're oh, open. Jen, Jen, hold that thought. I think they want to know. I think what? they want to know during during this time, how does Todd get his hair to look that good? Oh, well, <laughs> that's true. That's what everybody realized. Really, let's figure this out. Yeah, but I can't ask him that. It's not with the help of a barber, clearly, since it's been about six weeks. <laughs> Go ahead, that's Jennifer. Hilarious. Sorry. No, I'm sorry, know, Jennifer. That, that's uh, his jackalope um, pro pick in the back of his desk there. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah, it's that way. Or that yeah. way. <laughs> Todd, I, we, we try and have a little bit of fun. And, and thanks for being a good sport with us. But, you know, one of the things we all want to know is how are you, how are you, like, not only surviving but thriving in this? And what are some of the lessons you're learning you can share with other restaurateurs in this experience? Well, you know, I'll say in fairness, number one, you know, our sales are down like everybody else's, but we are faring better than most. And we feel very fortunate to be in that position. And, you know, we had a head start um, because we had two things in our favor uh, before this hit. One, we have drive throughs right. uh, which is proven to be a tremendous asset in this in this climate right now. Um, and secondly, we already had relationships in place uh, on the delivery side as well. So we had two major two major delivery partners uh, that were already set up. So we were able to, you know, pivot pretty quickly in terms of closing dining rooms and leading into the, the drive-through side of the business and the delivery side, and just to keep rocking. And from there, it was really, you know, the fact that we are small, I think, has that's a tremendous asset for us to an advantage for us that we can be very nimble uh, because we are small. There's a group of five of us that run the company, Patrick, our founder, myself, our CFO, our VP of ops and our VP of development. And we get together every week and sit around the table and talk about the business and what we need to do moving forward. And obviously when this hit, those meetings became daily. Um, and just, we said, we gotta be really high touch very you know strong in the communication department in terms of talking to our frontline restaurant folks on a daily basis uh, we had weekly calls scheduled with them so we could just maneuver as quickly and in whatever direction was necessary during that time uh, in the early weeks of this thing when we were all trying to figure it out together so how did um, you how did you reassure your employees that they weren't going to be at extra risk because in all the videos and everything that I've watched and read about you guys, you've been super early on and consistent. The most important thing is the health and safety of your customers and your employees. How did you how did you make everybody feel, you know, comforted and, and safe? You know, well, first of all, Patrick and Kathy have created a brand over the last 15 years that has been employee first since day one. We always value the employee above the guest, the employees first. And we know if we take care of the employee, they will in turn take care of the guest. And so, you know, they almost expected us to behave this way. And they can trust us and believe in us when we tell them things. Mm -hmm. um, we're very transparent. We tell them what's happening at every turn. Um, you know, we had very direct conversations with them and the home office team about, hey, we got to cinch up the purse strings here. We're cutting all marketing. We're cutting all non-critical spending because we got to maximize profit while our sales are in the negative. Uh, to try to help weather this storm. And if we do that well, we will not have to experience any layoffs. So we just connect the dots for people and make it very simple. Um, and in, in that conversation, we said, we're gonna do everything in our power 
our our number one goal is no layoffs. And I, as I sit here today, as we wow. enter week six, we have not had any layoffs. Wow, that's um, You know, we've got, a, obviously, like everyone in this business, we've got a lot of hourly employees. And of course, we've had to cut, you know, reduce hours and things of that nature. Um, but those employees have been remarkably um, responsive and supportive of that idea. They get the reality of the situation. And quite frankly, they're just happy to have a job, just like the rest of us. So they were okay with cutting some hours and having to shift some things around. Um, one of the other things I did early on, we're huge into community giving. And so we, what I said in the very first week is I said, the beauty of this moment in a crisis, our job is to just be who we've always been, turn to our DNA, who we've been as a brand. So A, we're going to take care of our employees. B, we got to give back to the community because that's what we've been famous for all these years. Right. And now the community needs us more than ever. And we have the good fortune of having a couple of food trucks in our stable. Um, so that first week, and we haven't stopped, uh, with two to three times a week, we were feeding hospital workers, feeding food bank and volunteers, uh, feeding displaced restaurant workers for free um, to help them get through the tough time. And one of the things I did to try to make up the hours that were cut uh, for the folks in the restaurants was I gave those people an opportunity to sign up and volunteer and work the food truck or go with us to oh, volunteer nice. at the food bank. And I told them, I will pay you your wage for volunteering. So you'll be a paid right. volunteer. Um, so this is sort of the, the balancing act that we created, this balance of taking care of crew, customer, and community in this very balanced way. And that we didn't want to let any one of those three legs of the stool get kicked out right. from under us. Hey, Todd, That's what it. have you learned about the brand through this experience that you couldn't have learned any other way? That brand? The P. Terry brand. Of burger stand burgers, yeah. I, and at some um, point, can we talk about the fries? Because, oh yeah, the crazy fries. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, the thing I've learned the most, uh, and maybe it's not learning; it's just a deeper appreciation, is the fact that people drive this business. You know, this thing got on a very deep human level real quick. You know, when the when the tide turned on all of us, and. You know, someone asked me, like in the first week or two, you know, what's the most surprising thing you've seen that you hope sticks around after this virus, you know, after we get on the other side? And I said, you know what, this may sound crazy, but just basic civility yeah. has gotten so much better through this, you know, as we lean on each other. And so I learned that about our culture at P. Terry's. Um, you know, we did something really cool over Easter weekend just, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And what we did was, Again, we wanted to, things are not great, but again, we're doing okay. So we wanted to just reinforce the stability, you know, that notion to our employees. So what we did is for Easter weekend, our tradition at P. Terry's is we always close on Easter Sunday and let our employees have that time with their families. We typically host a giant picnic with all their employees and their families to come out. We feed them and have fun out at a ranch that we run out. Obviously, we can't do that in this climate. Right. Um, so what we did is we just put together a quick note and put a $50 grocery car, uh, grocery uh, gift card and a $50 bill in an envelope and gave it to every single employee in the company. And Patrick wow. and Kathy, our, our founders, they went around to every restaurant and hand delivered those to every employee in person That's awesome. just to thank them. That's and awesome. so we just, we've learned, you asked what we've learned. We've learned it's really about the small moments, right? It's about the small gestures and they can mean a whole lot, right? It, 
one of the things, Todd, that I want to try and understand about this, it would be lovely if that could become best practices for other people in the industry. But maybe it's not as um, reflective of another culture from another place. Not that it's better or worse or good or bad, but it's such a, it seems like an expression of who you all are as a culture and as people. And in that, how do you translate something that you've done that's best practice in a way that can inspire other restaurateurs around the country who are facing all the same challenges that you guys are facing? But maybe you know, uh, do it in their own way. Yeah, I'll, I'll share a couple of quick examples. And obviously, before this virus even happened, my challenge as the CEO coming in, charged with growing this brand responsibly, and that's really what Patrick wanted me to come in to do, right. is take, take us out of Central Tech to start to grow this thing, but do it in a way where we don't lose the brand magic that's been created, right? And we're not going to compromise anything. And so that's all we've been talking about the last right. year. So when this virus hit, it just got even more... Uh, profound that conversation, and so, so what I've been one of the things I was charged with is how do you scale some of these little magical brand mo moments, cultural moments of how we treat our people, and so there's a couple things we do, and I think what I want the lesson here to be is because it's what amazed me when I came into the brand is there's not one big program that the brand hangs its hat on that everyone talks about. It's a lot of little things, and they don't cost a lot of money. Um, one of the things, you know, one of the things we they do, they've been doing since day one that I just love is we have a woman on our payroll, uh, Susie. Susie is 70 years old. She has a company car and her only job is every day to bake the employees who have a birthday on that day, the birthday cake of their choice. And she delivers it to the restaurant where they're working, the flavor they got. And so when you sign up to work for us on the uh, onboarding paperwork, after your name and address, the third question is, what's your favorite kind of cake? And nobody knows why until they've been with the company a year. And, and so on your birthday, Susie bakes that cake and delivers that's it to cool. you. Because that's your most special day. I mean, it seems simple, but that's in your own head and heart. That's your most special day. And for your company to recognize you like that, and it doesn't cost as much at all uh, to do that. But, you know, she's, we got 800 employees and she's baking, you know, 800 cakes a year right now. Um, so... Sometimes you get two or three a day, you know, on a, on when birthdays hit. So that's one small thing we do. Well, how are so the, just, forget about that, Todd. How are the cakes that Susie makes? <laughs> Susie, Susie's a badass cake maker, let me tell you. <laughs> yes, that's what we want to know. We want to know, all right, yeah. you know, cookies yeah. and the cakes, Todd. That's yeah. all I want to know yeah. about right now. In fact, I had a great moment with Patrick in the fall. He, like, we were talking growth and planning the growth and how we're going to do all this. And he came power sliding into my office one day, and he was, like, with this almost panicked look on his face. And he said, I'm sorry, I just had a thought I had to share with you. How in the world are we going to replicate this cake program when we start going to other markets? Susie can't drive to San Antonio or Houston or Dallas. And I, I, a, I thought it was adorable. It was just like the most sincere moment. And it told me everything I needed to know about what that man values in the culture of the business and the That's people awesome. of the business. And I just said, you know, we're going to have to hire another Susie down in San Antonio. Well, we have, a, we have another Joe Fanzee. Where are you, Joey? You got your Big Mama's Cheesecakes. Can you compete with Susie, Joey? That's what we want to know. Can you Bring compete it on. with Susie? <laughs> I'll put Susie up against anybody. That's kind of awesome. But, you know, Jennifer, Jennifer, that's the kind of ownership that we talk about when I was writing the book, right? When, when, when this book, Todd, this book, yep. okay? Yep. Published author. Okay. Available at Barnes and Noble. Okay, Todd. 
Um, but when I was writing the book, it was it was a, you know it was about the success of a restaurant, and the key is everybody's a family, right? And and you're not an adversarial relationship, right? Like you see, and you you and you see this. Listen, you guys are in Austin. You know, I, Jennifer is in, in Arizona right now, but she's been all over the world. I'm in Las Vegas. And Jennifer and I have always seen the success from people, famous chefs like Jean-Georges, right, Greg Chen? Or, um, or even David Ray, or but Rick these guys, Moonen. Rick Moonen, Carrie Simon. These guys bring together a family, right? David Burke. And their, and their, David Burke and their success grows. Where you'll have you'll see the other corporate guys. Oh, I worked here. I worked there. I moved this place. I moved that place, and it doesn't work, right? So yep. I like the fact that Todd's able to, to verify that like he's verifying that, right? Like, what's your attrition employee attrition rate? It's got to be very low. People aren't going anywhere when you get that kind of love. Todd, what's the attrition rate? When you're giving your employees this kind of love, how long do they stick around for? Wait, Todd's locked up right now. Okay. Hey, Micah, I was going to actually turn to you and ask you because of the book. Um, face. And Todd? That's his Wait, resting Todd, awesome. we can hear you. We just can't see you. That's his resting awesome face. Um, there he is. There he is. No, there he is. Hey, um. Michael, I, I wanted to ask you though, when you're as the as the author of this book, and as the guy who is conveying and collecting, curating the um, the narratives of success for restaurants and restaurant tours, what are the things you're hearing Todd say that really align with what you feature in the book? Like, is it checking boxes? Like, yep, that's what. It, yep, absolutely, those are the things. Are there yeah. some things of like, what were you hearing from him? No, absolutely. When I was listening to Todd talk, one of the things that we that we have seen is again, I'm not an all-knowing, but right. I I am able I am able to use our the readership and and the right. 20 years right. of Food and Beverage magazine and seen that so many successes and so many failures, and most of the successes all come with what Todd is saying, right? Right. Yeah. But here's the thing: it's not teachable. I don't think it's teachable. I think it's I think they can slowly learn it, right? But I'm sure that the P. Terry's team already came with that. They came with that love. They had a vision of a stand, of a hamburger stand. They didn't know this was going to grow like it did. And they used their innate ability of people ability to create a family environment. Right, well, Jen? What's that? It's like asking, how do you teach feeling? That's right. Right. How do you teach? How do you teach that? So let's go to Todd. He knows. Todd. I mean, it's a, you know, it's really a, it's a DNA thing, right? So you you said it, Michael, it's, you know, it started with the Terry's themselves. These are the, we're living out their values. You know, it started with them and they put all these programs in place when they opened the very first location. And now it's about, it's part of our interviewing criteria, right? It's the filter we put everybody through that we're looking for those same values when we're talking to candidates about joining the family. And it doesn't matter if you're just an, a frontline hourly cashier, we're holding you to the same standard Patrick held me to when he was interviewing me to be CEO. And he was less concerned with talent. He's like, I know your resume. I know what you've done the last 20 years. I get it. You bring all the skill, blah, blah, blah. We can check that box. 
I'm looking for, are you the right fit for this thing? Are you going to value this the way I value it? Because I'm entrusting this to you. And that's what we do every day to our frontline workers, right? We entrust our brand to them every day to carry the flag. And so it's really just about placing that at the top of the list when you're, when you're selecting folks to join you. Hey, um, Todd, I, I want to ask you about how do the burgers taste? Tell me the story about how the burgers taste. So the burger oh, wait, is... Todd, before I start, before you answer that, you have to know one thing about her. Okay. She has one of these. Are you familiar I with that? I am. I'm very familiar with that. Okay. So before you, this is a setup question, bro. I'm not going to let you walk into that bee's nest. I wanted to make sure you're fully aware that she has one of these. I appreciate the heads up, Michael. Oh my God. The only, the only bee, bee's nest you need to know about me is if you were here with me, I'd make you a stinger. I mean, bee's nest. What kind of bee's nest? I can't tell you how happy we are to have you here. And I really, I do want to have you explain oh, this. what really differentiates the flavor of the simplicity of the burger and those fantastic fries that are like irresistible. Having te technical difficulties. We can hear you though, Todd. So go ahead and talk. Can you we'll hear keep, us? We'll keep working on it. What if I? Oh, there you are. You there? there you are. There we go. There we go. All right. Sorry about that. I don't know what's happening. That's okay. Yeah. No, now we lost him. Yeah, I, I just want to make sure that, that um, Michael, I know that you've got a little bit of history in the burger game. Uh, they're everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's prolific. And everybody has their own take or their own version of a classic simple burger. What's Everybody the, wants them. Michael, what's the trending right now from your vantage point? Ten years ago, nobody was doing a gourmet burger. Now everybody's got a specialty, you know, almost like a simple burger, right? Whether it's one of those smash burger, you know, old time style. There's a lot of burger out there. Uh, what are the trends right now, Michael, that you're seeing that are the successful trends? Simple. Simple burger. Like, remember when Hubert Keller, our good friend Hubert, created yeah. that burger with the truffles and the gold and the whatever, and then, you know, it was $5,000 with a bottle of champagne. And Those days are gone, right? Yeah. Now everybody wants to, like, literally, my, I have a 21-year-old daughter, and she's looking on Pinterest and all that. She's like, oh, my God, Dad, let's make these burgers. I thought it was going to be some crazy thing. She's like, you cook them, you put cheese on them, you put them in a bun, you wrap them up, and you put them in the oven. Really easy. That's it. And and she made like a little like sauce, and it was amazing. It was yeah. that's what I think that's the trend. I think easy, simple. That was the trend with any burger thing I ever did. And French fries. We still got to have Todd explain the flavor profile of the burgers, but then we want to hear about the potatoes because I'm getting a lot of comments about the potatoes and the fries. So. Yeah, and you know yeah. the burger is our burger is exactly reflective of what you guys have been talking about. I mean, again, it's back to we were born out of this very simple idea of what those '60s and '70s burger stands stood for back in the day, and the product follows suit. It's just a very simple, straightforward. It's all about just good quality ingredients. There's nothing special happening beyond that. It's taking great ingredients. I mean, our meat patty is 100% Black Angus beef, all natural, as I mentioned earlier, hormone-free, antibiotic-free. So it's just a great, straightforward piece of meat, you know, ground patty, and we just salt and pepper it, and it's 
it's just great on its own. It doesn't need to be overthought or overproduced. And I think that's what makes the brand what it is. That's the magic behind it. That's what people sign up for. And I think when you put forward, you know, you asked me in the beginning, what's sort of the origin story of this brand? The other piece of the equation that I didn't really mention is, is our price point. The fact yeah. that Patrick is selling these high quality ingredients. I mean, our a basic hamburger for us is $2.85. That's our signature burger. And it's a black Angus beef burger. Um, so it's fair, that, by the way, Todd. It's fair, is what it is. Yeah, fair. yeah, yeah. You're right. And so, because one of the, again, one of the core values of the brand was they wanted to create a concept. Because again, back then it was expensive and difficult to come by those all natural ingredients. And they thought, well, why can't the masses enjoy good quality food? Why does it have to be reserved for a certain set of folks? that can afford to eat that well. And that was a big set. part of the- I know what you're saying. You mean the set that has one of these. Exactly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what that does though, is that establishes the standard for irresistible. Right. Yeah. So a company now with the potatoes, tell us about the fries. So the fries, uh, we have a family up in Idaho that's got a potato farm and they have supplied, they are the only family they've supplied our fries since day one of the last year. And you guys years. use Burbanks, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, Burbanks, yep. And uh, they, so what we do is a group of us, every fall, we go up to Idaho, uh, to Idaho Falls where the farm is. Oh, cool. And we go through and witness the harvest from start to finish. And they fill up what basically looks like an airplane hanger full of our potatoes. And those potatoes get us by for the entire year. And wow. they just pull. And it's, it's an amazing thing to see. And Patrick and Kathy and their two young daughters and myself and a few others, we all go and do the trip every year. And it's a great outing. And it connects us with that family that's, that's our cool. provider. And again, it's about that human connection, right? That even our supplier partners feel like they're an extension of us. I mean, they joke. They said, hey, when you guys open your 20th restaurant, you're going to officially have, you do enough volume in potatoes that you're going to officially have your own airplane hanger up there full of potatoes that you're not sharing with anybody. And on that day, we want you to come up and we're going to do a ceremony. This is in Idaho Falls. And they're going to put a giant P. Terry's logo on the side of that hanger oh, cool. that holds our potatoes. So it's just a fun, you know, cool little moment that, again, just makes the brand. It's a very high touch, people first kind of brand and culture. And it extends out to our, our suppliers that give us these great ingredients. You know, one of the things, Michael, that really struck me as I got to know the brand's story in preparation for our visit today with Todd was this idea that something really, really simple is really hard to do, and it's hard to do well. And I wanted to ask Todd how, when you're in this game of doing something that's really simple and really hard to do well, and it's made more complex by this pandemic, uh, that, it, that it is this really unique set of circumstances and moment in time. Do you feel like it brought out the best in this brand? Do you think this moment is gonna be sort of like this, the sifter that's gonna sift out the companies that had something really essential in their core that will allow them to survive and it's gonna separate those out that just really didn't have something as strong as what you guys have in terms of those essentials? I to think make so, I mean, I, the yeah. Other side of this. 
Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you have a crisis, you know, it, it reveals the true character of a brand, right? And its culture. Um, you can't hide. Uh, you, you are exposed for who you are, right? And, and so I think we've learned a lot about how resilient the P. Terry's brand can be. You know, Patrick, I wasn't with the company back then, but Patrick told me similar stories when the 08 recession hit and how P. Terry's actually thrived through that moment because they were this affordable but still high quality option that people that were dining a notch or two above us, they felt comfortable dropping down to P. Terry's. Um, and continuing, you know, down their way as they were tightening their spend to get through that moment. Um, so the brand is very resilient from that standpoint because we have folks that are used to finer dining than what we offer, obviously. But for in their minds, we're the acceptable fast food solution because of the quality of the ingredients. And then because of our price point, we're the appealing fast food option uh, for those looking for a good fast food option that are on a budget. Uh, because we're priced about the same as some of those larger mega chains out there yeah. um, that aren't serving near the type of ingredients that we're serving. On the, so, on the quality side. Hey, uh, Todd, two two more things that I want to make sure we squeeze in. You've been super generous with your time. We love having you here with us. I know Michael had a bunch of things he wanted to ask you too, but I wanted to talk about um, the food chain and the food supply. There's been a lot of news in the last 24 hours, 36 hours, speculation over the last four or five days that meat processing is going to become an issue, that there may be shortages. Uh, I don't want to fuel any, you know, panic or anything like that. How do you address that? And, and what are you reading? What does your crystal ball tell you? And how are you how are you seeing this kind of news? Yeah, um, obviously, it's worrying us just as much as everyone else. Um, we are. When we're in weekly conversations with our core, you know, with those main suppliers for potatoes, beef, et cetera, uh, dairy, um, and just to see, like, how are they doing? What practices are they putting in place to elevate their safety and sanitation practices? Um, and so we're, we're, you know, we're holding them to a higher standard, too, um, not only for our benefit, but for theirs, too, obviously. Um, and so we've been very fortunate today. Uh, that we have not encountered any supply chain issues of that nature. Um, but we are game planning on what if, you know, what if something hits that beef processor that we source from in Amarillo, Texas? Um, and the good news is that processor also has a plant in Idaho. Right. Um, and so what we've had them do, they're already set up, they shipped up duplicate plates and forming plates and that kind of thing to be able to quickly set up a line and start manufacturing our burger patties um, if something, God forbid, were to happen to that Amarillo plant. So that's some of the contingency planning we're doing is just, and in the meantime, you know, we've been very open with them. I'm like, hey, I'm, I, I'm glad you have the backup plant in another, you know, geographical area if something were to happen in West Texas. Um, but we're also continuing to have talks with a secondary supplier um, right. if we need them to come online. So yeah, we're not, uh, we're not taking anything for granted. You know, we know. Wow, any you're going to be kissing other girls at the dance, Todd. I mean, <laughs> everybody's on their toes, doesn't uh, it? Hey, man, when it's a when there's a virus, all bets are off. <laughs> That's right. That's true. No, but Michael, I mean, one of the one of the key things I want restaurateurs that are tuned in with us to to hear today is you got to start Plan B long before you need Plan B. I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Absolutely. I'll tell you this, you know, one of the things we've prided ourselves on every step of the way, and it started week one, 
we saw what was happening and we saw that dining room service was going to be an issue because we know we live in this business and we see the, the cross contact between guests and employees. And, uh, and, and so we knew that we felt that day coming and we actually yeah. voluntarily closed our dining rooms a day before the, the Texas mandate came out to do so. Um, so we were a step ahead there. And then when the federal guidelines came out on um, recommending, you know, face coverings in public uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we were we saw that kind of coming. Um, and so about four days ahead of that, I ordered a thousand bandanas for our employees to wear in the restaurants. And so within 24 hours of that guideline coming down, and it came down on a Friday night, if you recall, yeah. um, which kind of put people in a pinch because it wasn't a work day. Um, and by Saturday afternoon, we had every employee in every restaurant wearing bandanas. And so being able to be proactive like that and think one step ahead is what maintains confidence and trust from your customer. Because we keep hearing from people, they're like, God, you guys are on top of it. Um, every time a new sanction or a new mandate or a new guideline comes down, um, I've, I've spent the last two weeks redesigning our dining room experience anticipating that's the next moment we're going to have is when those dining rooms reopen. Um, and sure enough, today, the governor of Texas is reopening Texas, whatever that means, uh, effective this Friday, May 1st. And what it means to us in the restaurant space and the hospitality space, movie theaters are part of that, um, you're, you're going to be permitted to reopen your dining rooms in our case. Um, but with only you can only allow 25% of your maximum occupancy to be in that restaurant at any one time. So you're basically losing 75% capacity. Correct. So what we're choosing to do, and I hope most do this, um, I actually did an interview earlier today with a local Austin paper asking, like, how are we all going to react to this news that came out today? And I said, we're not going to be, it's not going to be dictated to us. Just because the government says you can reopen doesn't mean that's a great idea. Right. It's a it's about preparedness, right, and readiness. And we're probably a couple of weeks away from being ready. And today's announcement does nothing to change that in our mind. We're Tell only we're gonna get we're gonna get one chance at this with our guests, right. right? To do it in a way that they walk in and they feel super comfortable and safe. And so we're gonna take our time and do it the right way. And we're gonna open when yeah. we're. Todd, we've only got a couple minutes left, but I really am eager to, to ask about, uh, given the circumstances, most restaurants are operating on really thin margins, anywhere from three, if you're really lucky, 5% profits. There's not a lot of room there. And so I know that restaurants all over the country are saying, what if they make us go every other seat, which virtually means at some point when we open, we've lost the capacity for half my covers. If I was barely getting by with 3% profit margins before, how could I possibly make a living and sustain this business if I'm losing 50% of my seats? How can I possibly eke out any kind of profit? But then I'm thinking, well, then we've got increased to-go ordering. What's this future going to look like? What's the mix? What are you guys thinking about? I'll tell you what we're thinking about, and we're basically saying we are going to be heavily drive through and to go from now on. This is not temporary in our minds. We're, we're, we're saying the next two years, this is what reality is going to look like. And I, we honestly believe that. Um, and we, we all hear the talk, right? No one's going to truly feel 100% comfortable until there's a vaccine. And we know there's a, we're over a year away from that. So 
this whole social distancing and what's going on right now, a lot of that is not going to change anytime soon. That's how we're viewing it. And so we're just, we are, because I've got a lot of new restaurants in the pipeline <laughs> waiting that are on hold right now, uh, waiting to get built. And um, we're actually taking this down moment to go in and redesign the interiors of those restaurants in yeah. light of what we know now. I mean, so and, I think you I think you have to accept that there is a new normal that's not going anywhere for a lot of us folks in the restaurant business. Um, and you've got to ship. So if you because I'm betting a lot of brands uh, put a Band-Aid on their ability to deliver curbside, to do to go better, to mm -hmm. do takeout better. And it's now time to think of permanent solutions to that. Start architecting what the next two years look like for you against those solutions, because you are going to be leaning hard on those. That 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 shit. It's not going to shift back. I don't think it'll ever shift back to what your mix was, dine in versus takeout before all this happened. Todd, you know um, what so, I call that? I call that? that the silver lining strategies that are growing out of this. You yeah. might not have thought at the beginning that this would be a good thing in any way, shape, or form. Tragedies. There's there's no good solutions, outcomes, etc. But if there's a silver lining, could the silver lining be that you guys might end up eking out at least as much as that same pre-experience profit in that, you know, scant get by three to 5% range, which is, you know, pretty much the industry average for most restaurants. Uh, yeah. What, what happens if you end up a little bit ahead because the silver lining was that you just got really efficient at doing things that people really wanted anyway? Well, that's what's exactly. going to happen, Jennifer. Jennifer, that's we talked exactly about right. That. Yeah. Living yeah. in Vegas, there's so much money pouring into restaurants, they have no idea where all the holes are. Right. They don't know where the mistakes are made. They're like, oh, we make more money. Who cares? You can make three times. They don't know. They don't. They just yep. they put a bandaid. They stick a piece of gum on it. And it just, you know, this is where that don't matter. This is where the true success stories come in. Yeah. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist, but you got to do your homework to do it. Yeah. And, we have Todd, a, we have a, and we have the last here, the, we have a Go saying ahead. here real quick that we talk about that. You know, because, yeah, good comes out of being forced to be scrappy, right? When you because you can find you can chip away the fat, you can uncover the fat on the bone and get rid of it. Um, and so we've been talking a lot the last few weeks about how desperation breeds innovation. And this should just push creativity and go out there and think of things that you would think would you would never have occurred to you before or never considered before because it seemed too high risk. Well, now's the time. Play with it. Experiment. Try different things. Brilliant. That's the last word from Todd Kerber, CEO of P. Terry. So we got the logo one more time, Michael. Oh, let me find that. Hold on a minute. I'm slack. <laughs> hey, Todd, where I was looking at my hair. Well, I just cut my own hair today. I wanted, there it is. There P. we Terry. go. P. Terry. <laughs> P. Terry. That's awesome. Austin, Texas. Austin, Beautiful. Texas. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, now, is can somebody see Matthew McConaughey coming through the drive-thru with P. Terry's one day? Oh, maybe? yeah. Yeah, he comes through on occasion. Yeah, at a couple of our locations. All right, I gotta ask, and I gotta tell people that don't know that one of the things you guys have always been promoters of is this idea that you can wrap any burger in lettuce leaves and make it yep. friendlier. Uh, what's your burger of choice? What's your daily burger? I have two. Uh, so when I'm feeling decadent and I want to indulge and treat myself, I get a double meat, double cheese, no lettuce, no tomato, because I like a really hot, gooey burger. And then I add jalapenos and bacon. Nice. Texas boy. Uh, yeah, all the way. Well, um, and Mondays are burger days. What's that? Mondays are burger days. Tuesdays are taco days. There are burgers all over the country. There are 
burgers happening all over the country two for one burgers at at uh, Charo Steak in Arizona. You guys, it's it seems like such a great food for the kickoff of the week. Uh, and you were telling us about your second favorite. Yeah, my second favorite when I'm trying to be healthier and better is I will go in and get a chicken burger, no bun, uh, wrapped in lettuce. Uh, again, I got to do jalapenos and onions uh, and with mustard that, for that. Mm, mustard. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, so I, you know. They do that? a skinny fry. Yeah, we do like more of a shoestring fry. Um, and we, we, we bring in whole potatoes and we hand press them. We punch them in the back of the house. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a process, but it, it makes a damn good fry. All, All right. right. Thank you, Todd. Keep up the good work, buddy. Thank you, good guys. Job. Appreciate we the time. Y'all be safe. You. Jennifer, hey, when you get home, hug your kids. Count your blessings. We'll see you tomorrow. Au revoir, Jennifer. Au revoir. Well, uh, bon appétit. See you Wednesday. See you Wednesday.